Wow, what a blessing to be here. It's my first trip out of state after COVID. So uh, I'm breaking in in a very comfortable place that I consider my home away from home. And uh, I love your founding pastor uh, and uh, Terry and Susan and, and your incredible lead pastor and all the staff and just an amazing church, most generous church in America. I tell you, you guys are amazing. Uh, and uh, I did bring three of my last books. One is uh, Poisonous Power. A lot of churches use this as a retreat, and it has to do with creating a healthy culture in our environment, whether it's business, church, leadership, uh, anything you could think of, family. Um, this book came out right before COVID. It's called the Jesus Principles, it's the secret sauce for how Jesus released greatness in people, how he took ordinary fishermen like Peter um, and, and James and John and turned them into great world changes. So that's the book, The Jesus Principles. And the, this book came out last week. It's already a number one seller on Amazon in Christian spirituality, pneumatology, whatever technical term you want to use. And it's called The Purpose, Power, and Process of Prophetic Ministry. So um, I felt the Lord laid this on my heart in January and gives a strong balance, inspires prophetic ministry. It has dozens of personal testimonies of the impact of the prophetic. And it also gives us guidelines so that we don't fall into a prophetic ditch and shame the name of Christ. So I think that would be a great book for those who are aspired to understand that ministry. So in Jesus' name, we pray that you would give us wisdom, that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. So what we're going to talk about today are eight reasons why we cannot follow Jesus apart from the church. Eight reasons why we cannot follow Jesus apart from the local church. And you would think that we would need to hear a message like this, but in America, there's millions of people who say they're Christ followers who don't even attend church or they're not functioning in church. And so there's a reason why this sort of message is so important. Uh, famous Christian rapper Lecrae recently tweeted, I love Jesus, but I'm not churchy. I used to be embarrassed by that, but now I realize it's okay to love God but not fit in with the church culture. Of course, is he, if he is talking about a religious, institutional, legalistic church culture, I would agree with him. But if he's talking about local church in general, I couldn't disagree with him more. Uh, it would be as stupid as saying, you know, I could cut off my finger and expect my finger to function, right? You can't expect your finger to function if you cut it off. Same way, you can't expect a Christ follower to maximize their purpose and follow their assignment outside of the church. And it's even more important to hear messages like this in light of the COVID uh, fragmentation, separation, detachment that we've all experienced. Many people have gotten very comfortable watching church online, and it was okay for a few months, but you know now it's time to get back to business, right? And uh, it's easy to watch uh, online service in your pajamas and you're in and out of the, the room, and you don't even know what the preacher's really saying, but you could say, hey, yeah, I was in church, you know. But uh, no, 
now it's time to start gathering unless there's a physical challenge that stops us. So anyway, I want to get into eight reasons, and I think it's important that we try to follow along. So uh, first reason, when people followed Jesus in the Gospels, he immediately brought them into his community. So there are several parachurch ministries that actually believe that Jesus disciple people apart from the church so that they don't need to connect people or work through the local church in order to disciple people. Well, first of all, they're misreading the Gospels. In Matthew 16, Jesus talked about the church even before the day of Pentecost. He told them that I am building my church upon this rock. So he mentioned the church in Matthew 16, verse 16 and 19. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. So he always had the church in mind. How many understand what I'm saying? He always had the church in mind. Secondarily, when somebody came to him and wanted to be his disciple, he brought them into a community. So that community, whether it was the 12 or in Luke 10, we see that there were at least 70 other disciples that were part of his team. He had them living in community so that the notion of thinking that you could follow Jesus outside of a community was totally eviscerated with the way he discipled people. He always brought them in context to a community, a Jesus movement. And so there was always either a form, an embryonic form of the church, or some could argue it actually was the beginning of the church pre-Pentecost, because he did say church in Matthew 16, but he never, ever intimated that you can be a follower outside of church. Never. And there's more we could say there. Uh, as a matter of fact, let me just say Acts chapter 1, which communicated a fact that Luke and Acts were meant to be read, part one and part two. Luke says to a guy named Theophilus, he was a prominent leader in the culture of his day, prominent enough so that uh, Luke took it upon himself to write a gospel called the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts narrative so this man could understand, so he could be, as we would say, catechized. He could be discipled. It was used as a way of training and establishing him in the faith. And in Luke, uh, I'm sorry, in um, Acts chapter 1, he said, in my former treaties, meaning the Gospel of Luke, I told you all that Jesus began, some would say began, began to do and teach. By implication, when he said began to do and teach, he was now framing the book of Acts as a narrative of what Jesus continued to do and teach through the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he was saying, in essence, you cannot follow Jesus and do the works of Christ if you're not in the church. It's like on the day of Pentecost, even though Jesus appeared to over 500 people, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, that only 120 were in the upper room. I don't know what happened to the other 380. If I saw the resurrected Christ, I would definitely do what he said, wait in Jerusalem until I'm endowed with power from on high. But only 120, I mean, that's why pastors shouldn't feel bad when half the church doesn't listen to their sermons, right? Not even a resurrected Christ got half the people to listen to him. 120 were in the upper room 
and only those physically gathered in that upper room experience Pentecost, right? It's like somebody says to me, Pastor, I'm sorry I wasn't in church, but I was with you in spirit, and I say to them, next time bring your body, and your spirit will also follow, (laughs) right? So if you're not physically present, there's certain things that you're going to miss. So you need to be connected to the church. The second reason why you cannot follow Jesus outside of the local church is the church is inextricably connected to Jesus. We find in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, Paul the Apostle says that Jesus put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Someone say the church is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Meaning, if you think you could follow Jesus apart from the church, it's like saying I could follow a body without a head or a head without a body. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus is the head, we're the neck down. So we are his body. It's a literal, organic, it's both mystical. It's, immater- it's mystical because there's a church in heaven, but it's also physical. We are the church. So we're connected to Jesus. And getting to my next point, the third reason why we can't follow Jesus outside of the church is the church is the visible manifestation of the invisible Christ. He is, we are the corporate material manifestation of the invisible Jesus Christ. Tells us in 1 John 4, 17, the apostle John said, as Jesus is, meaning now in heaven, invisible, so are we in this world. When people want to see Jesus, they look at the church, whether you like it or not. As he is, so are we in this world. And then he tells us something so convicting. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, you can call that racism, you can call it just relational uh, problems between people. In other words, if we dehumanize each other, if we hate each other, we can't say, as he says, we love God and hate our brother. If we say that, we're a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So he is equating the loving God with loving people that we interact with. It's like, you know, uh, I love being a pastor except for the people, right? Uh, The easy thing is preaching, but dealing with all the people and all the issues, right? And it's like it is, you know, it's so easy to try to be spiritual until we get married, or until we have children, or until we have to deal with people. It's like the person came up to me once. They said, I'm resigning the usher's ministry. I said, why? He said, because I can't get along with the head usher. And I said, that's why God wants you to remain in the ministry. Learn how to get along. You cannot become mature. You cannot become a real Christ follower if you can't deal with the cauldron of human relationships that get very messy at times, right? Uh, uh, I thought I was spiritual till I got married. I'm being honest with you. 
I was praying three hours a day. I was walking in the Holy Ghost. I was casting devils out. I was preaching on the New York City subway trains, then the Staten Island Ferry to 3,000 every night. I saw God move in power. Then I went to Turkey as a missionary and during martial law, and God, you know, moved powerfully. Uh, and then I got married, and I started throwing Bibles on the floor, you know. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I threw a Bible once, it actually broke the window, because it went down, and then it went up like I was throw. I was a major, major league pitcher, I was throwing a knuckleball with the Bible, and uh, the landlady came and said, what happened? Uh, oh, and I lied to her, I said, uh, you know, I tripped and I broke the window, what was I going to say, I threw a Bible through the window, um, you know, but I tell you, I thought I was spiritual until I got married, and then... We had children, you know, then we have five children and then, you know, many other spiritual children. What am I saying here? That, you know, you cannot be mature if you don't learn how to deal with each other, right? That's the truth. Uh, and there's so many examples I could give, but we are the visible manifestation of Christ. And this is what the world gets. When they want to know who Jesus is, they... They have to understand it through Christians and through the church. Um, and so we have both the mystical body of Christ, that is an invisible body. We don't really know how many of you are really saved. Let's be honest. I don't know. You could come here. You could even give your tithes every week. Doesn't mean that you're born again. Doesn't mean you really have Christ in your life. So it's mystical, meaning we don't know who is really a Christian, but we also know it's physical, that if you really are a Christian, there needs to be a manifestation of people who are gathering together like we've seen throughout the Scriptures. And, of course, we have the church in heaven. It says in Hebrews 12 that we have a, um, a cloud of many witnesses. We have witnesses that are engaged somehow or another uh, as part of the church throughout eternity. So we are the visible manifestation of the invisible Christ. You can't separate the church from being a Christ follower. Number four, the promises of God assume a corporate body. Assume a corporate body. Now this is hard for us in the Lone Star State. It's hard for us in New York because you don't you think you guys have a handle on it in New York. Man, we just, we did it my way, right? Uh, <laughs> We are very independent, and to survive in New York, you have to be entrepreneurial and other things like that. So we have some similarities, believe it or not. But we have to understand that when we read the Bible, if we're really going to interpret it correctly, we have to historically and culturally put ourselves into the life that they had. Otherwise, you're going to impose your culture on the Bible and come up with a different meaning. So you can't put your independent, uh, lone star, rugged individualism on a Hebraic manuscript called the Bible and get the right meaning. We can't put our American rugged individualism or Jeffersonian understanding of independence uh, on all of Scripture either. So we have to understand it through Hebraic mindset. And so the first thing we have to realize is just historically, we didn't have a Bible or printed books until 1517, the Guggenheim Press, right? So number one, they didn't have 
Bibles. They had manuscripts. They had fragments. They walked around with scrolls. And very few, if any, had a whole Bible. And so when you were going to hear the Word of God, you had to be in either a synagogue or in a church. Otherwise, you wouldn't even know what the Bible said. That's why it tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, many of us would say faith comes by reading and reading the Word of God. But they didn't have that luxury. And so what Paul was saying is if you really want to grow in faith, you had to stop forsaking the assembly of themselves together. Hebrews 10.25. We have to be together. So if you were to uh, uh, read Paul, you could easily say that promise is just for me without being in church. So Philippians 1.6, it tells us, He who began a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus, right? It's a very familiar passage in Philippians, in the book of Philippians. So we could easily say, you know, I'm in my house, I'm reading this. He began a good work in me, and he will perfect it. He will finish it until the day of Christ. Amen. And I could say that whether I'm part of a church or not. But wait a minute, hold on. When that was written... That was a letter that Paul had somebody read to the church. It was probably a house church. They could not conceive of it just being for an individual because when it says, he who began a good work in you, that was plural. That was talking about the church that was gathered. So he was saying that what God began to do with that collective of Christ followers that met together and did life together, what he began in you, he is going to finish it. They weren't thinking just as individuals. It was unheard of to think that you could be a follower of Yahweh outside of Israel. As a matter of fact, that was considered punishment. When Miriam sinned against Moses, her punishment was not only getting leprosy, but she was going to be outside the camp for seven days. And she had to be outside as a punishment, meaning it wasn't a blessing to be outside of the camp. And there are a lot of Christians who think it's a blessing not to be in a local church. They think, well, you know, I could just read the Bible and have the Holy Ghost. That's their own culture they're imposing on the Scripture. God never meant it that way. And so corporately, we have to understand that there were no promises that were written just individuals. It was always to be interpreted in the context of how we function and flow with the church. Even in Philippians 4.19, how he said, um, God will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4.19. That was a prophecy to a church who gave Paul an apostolic offering, and he was saying, if you participated with the church in giving that offering, then he's going to provide all of your needs. It was never meant for one person, but yet we just think we could sow our money anywhere we want, and God's just going to honor that, and people wonder why that doesn't happen, because he was talking about being a part of a Jesus community that collectively supported apostolic ministry or the work of the kingdom, and because of that, God will continue to supply that church, the benefactors and the money and the wealth they needed 
so that the gospel can continue to proliferate throughout the earth. That's how you interpret that. Uh, and so don't do it outside of the local church. Try to do it through the church. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. <laughs> Number five. I'm from New York. I just speak direct, just like you Texans, right? I don't mince words. Number five, you cannot be a disciple apart from the church because in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, Jesus said, of course, said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Then he said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. And that's great, right? But he said how to do that. He said, baptizing them. Someone say baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So he told us to disciple the people groups that didn't know him, the nations that were not part of Israel at that point, that were not in covenant with God, all the Gentile nations. And he said how they're going to get discipled is by being baptized. Now, baptism is a rite of passage from the world, from the system of the world, from the pagan nations into the holy nation, the church. In other words, you could not be a disciple if you didn't join the church. That's what he was saying. You had to be baptized. You were not even looked at, and even in this day and age, you're not even considered a real Christian if you've not been baptized in water in certain persecuted nations. And then he said, after you're baptized, then the process of teaching so it's both teaching and water baptism. Water baptism starts it off, and then you're teaching and sitting under the Word. Number six, so obviously you can't be a disciple without, bapt without joining the church. Number six, you cannot hear the full counsel of God apart from the church. You cannot hear the full counsel of God apart from the church. There are some things God will not tell you as an individual. He just won't. I've experienced that myself. I remember there were some times when I didn't sense God saying anything to me, even though I walked in his presence, read the Bible for several months. But I'd go in our church prayer meeting, and all of a sudden, boom, Spirit of God would come on. And there would be incredible insights, and he would speak, and there, or there'd be prophecies. He tells us in Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he says seven times, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, plural. He didn't say, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the prophets or to those who pray. He said to the churches. Certain things he just will not say to individuals. And that's why we need to stay in sync with the church. We've got to hear what he's saying. And it's not just one week you go, one week you miss. There's a, a systematic way he teaches and builds line upon line, precept upon precept. We have to get to a point where we would be afraid to miss church even one week because we don't know what we're going to miss that could revolutionize our life. More I could say about that. Number seven, Jesus is coming back for his bride, not just for individual Christians. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus says, Paul says that Jesus wants to present the church to himself in splendor, 
without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And he's calling the church the bride of Christ in this context. If you look at Ephesians 5, the culmination of human history is going to be Revelation 19, when we have the marriage feast of the Lamb, a really big holy communion where all of us are together. It's going to be an amazing day. Jesus looks at the church as his bride. That is why we better be very careful what we say about the church. I mean, if you don't want to be on the bad side of somebody, you don't want to talk about their wife or their bride, right? And uh, if you don't want me to give you a, a Muay Thai elbow, don't talk about my wife in front of me. So you got the message, right? It even tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that there are some people who are weak, who are sick, and some have even died because they don't rightly discern the body. The context, there was division in the church of Corinth. He didn't say it's because you didn't have enough faith. He said because you didn't honor the brothers and sisters in the church. This is God's bride. doesn't get better than that. It's amazing. It's not just you as an individual. It's the church that's his bride. And he's coming back for a bride, not just for individual Christians. So we have to honor that. Last but not least, the reason why we need to be in church to follow Jesus is we need the gifts and abilities of the committed con congregation in order to function and walk out our, assi our assignment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul likens the church to a body, a human body, that each member interacts as it depends in an interdependent way on each other, right? He says, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And so the hand is connected to the arm, all of that, right? It can't cut off my hand and expect it to function. So Paul is saying that our gifts and ministries are like that, where we depend on each other. So I don't care how anointed you are, you don't have all the gifts, and even if you had all the gifts at one time in your life, you don't have them all operating at the same time, at the same moment. So you absolutely need the church in order to hear from God. And you don't just hear from God. I mean, there's so many people going on social media to hear from God. First of all, you don't even know if that person's connected to a church. You don't know how their marriage is. You don't know if they have integrity. You don't even know how they were uh, transition to giving words? Were they vetted? Did they follow 1 Timothy 3, where it talks about uh, a man um, having certain criteria before he's a leader? Uh, you have all these people dropping words, these social media prophets. I mean, this is, some of it is good, some of it is not good, because they're not being vetted, right? But that's, that's a problem. But in the local church, you don't just hear words through prophecy, you could hear God speaking through conversation, through edification, through exhortation, through preaching, just through doing life, just love. You, there's a sense 
of what God thinks about you through even someone embracing you. Someone's life could be changed just by you hugging them and them understanding through you unconditional love. And that could change and revolutionize a life. When I first started in Sunset Park and we saw that whole community transformed, at-risk community was the worst, drug-infested, gang-infested, abandoned buildings. We saw that whole community transformed within about 12 years without gentrification from about 1980 to 1993. We even had a movie made, Sunset Park, showed you how bad it was, abandoned buildings everywhere. I saw 12-year-olds with shotguns. I saw kids die in front of me. And we were out there every day sharing the gospel. And we saw a total transformation because the gospel doesn't just lift individual sinners. It brings systemic change. That's the kingdom. But we saw amazing things happen. And we showed people that God loved them. And in the fragmented culture that we were in, I realized that they didn't just need to hear a sermon on Sunday. A lot of these fatherless men needed me to be their poppy and just hugging them, loving them. Many of them we brought into our house. That showed them who God was just as much as any preaching I've ever done. There's more I could say about that. But let me end it with this. And that wouldn't have happened outside of the church. It says in Ephesians 4, God gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. For what? To equip the church for the work of the ministry so we could all come into the unity of faith, into the fullness of the Son of God, to the fullness of the stature of the manhood of Christ, right? So that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. That shows us that if we're not sitting under the word, and if we're not in church, we're not going to mature. We need the fivefold ministry gifts that are present in the body because it tells us that to each one of us has been given this gift, Ephesians 4, 7. So we need each other to be perfected. If you disassociate or detach yourself or if you're inconsistent with the church, the person you're hurting is yourself, your marriage, and your family. Let me just say this. You have a great church. This church is a great family of families. They're doing things the right way. There is no perfect church. Uh, as soon as you came in the door, it wasn't perfect anymore. As soon as I came in the door, it wasn't perfect. But this church is an incredible example of what it means to, to be a Jesus community in this, in this area, in this city. And you've been such a blessing all over the world. Thank you for having me today.